Father, we bow before you as your priest now. We have been your prophets this week, taking the gospel through our lives to the world around us in Fayette County. But now we've assembled as your priests to bring Fayette County before you in prayer. Our Father, thank you for answered prayers. Thank you for all the healing, for all the blessing, for the marriages restored, for the friendships restored, for the relationships between fathers and mothers and sons and daughters that have been restored. Father, thank you for all the healing that Christ has brought to our lives and that you've brought to our lives. Now we bow before you as priests to pray for Mr. Walker. Our Father, we ask that you would bring healing to his body. Take away this fluid. But our Father, our prayer is also that he'll remember the gospel. And that you will fill him with a peace and a confidence that's beyond his imagination. Father, we pray for Mabel McNeil this morning. That you would bring healing to her physical heart. Father, we pray that there would be no more complications. And that from this moment on, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, there would be a healing in her knee, that there would be a healing in her heart. We pray that you would give her many more years yet upon this earth to bless her family, to bless your church. Father, we pray for the farmers of Fayette County in the midst of this planting season. We pray that, that Father, you would bless them, that the seed would go on the ground without complications, without interruption, that we would see a blessed summer as those crops are watered, and that this fall there would be a great harvest. We not only pray for their prosperity, we pray for the prosperity of everyone here, that you would, in our work, in our homes, in our education, wherever we happen to be, We pray that you would prosper us in all we put our hands unto and bring blessing. The greatest blessing, Father, is that you speak to us and you've given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've given us your own son. And so we pray once more this morning that you would speak to us and teach us. John Sartell cannot teach so it will make any difference in our lives. He cannot teach so that we will be changed in the very core of our being, that we'll grow in Christ. But you're able to teach that way, Father, by the power of your Spirit. And we pray in these next few minutes that we would hear your voice in our hearts. Oh, Father, change us. Maybe some of us for the first time, for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're just your children asking their father to teach them.
Amen. <clears throat> Jesus, how do I tell someone about you? What has been happening in the first 26 verses of John chapter 4? Jesus has been telling someone about Christ. When you say he is the Christ, that's exactly what he was doing. He was revealing himself to the woman at the well. He's not, he does not reveal himself merely as a rabbi, merely as a teacher. He reveals himself as the Messiah of Israel. A Messiah has a living water that is so satisfying she'll never thirst again. His disciples have been in town buying food. The disciples returned just as Jesus told her in no uncertain terms, I am the Messiah. The woman is so stunned, so excited. She takes the opportunity of the interruption of the disciples, the disciples returning, to run back to town. Her message is one of urgency. The Messiah of all of Israel, the Messiah that we have waited for for thousands of years is at the well. He's here. At this point, Jesus turns from addressing the woman to speaking to the disciples about what he has been doing. Why is he speaking to this Samaritan woman? He's speaking to her to tell her about himself. He's speaking to her about her salvation. And he's telling the disciples, this is what you will do. You will spend the rest of your life speaking to the world about me. With the same message I have to this lady, you'll be telling the world that I'm the Messiah and the Son of God. Now, as Christians living in a secular world, we tremble, if we're honest, we tremble at the whole idea of witnessing out there in our neighborhood, of revealing Jesus and his gospel in this world that is becoming increasingly hostile. We have enthusiastically this morning Come here to worship, to this room, to meet with the God who made us, the God who sustains us, the God who has redeemed us. What a blessing. And we do that enthusiastically, don't we? Well, how many of us would be here if we knew that we were going to talk for the next few minutes about communicating to the people in Fayette County the gospel of Jesus Christ, going to even people we don't know to tell them the story of Jesus? And then after we finished here doing that, we were going out and we were actually going to meet our neighbors and tell them. I dare say this crowd would be a little bit smaller. Some of us would have found excuses to be somewhere else this morning. But that's the subject of this conversation that Jesus now has with his disciples. Remember when he called them in Galilee, at least four of them had been fishermen. And what did he say to them? You've been fishermen 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. And you may be thinking, John, that's such a difficult thing for me to do. I feel just so uncomfortable. I'm not good at this. I'm not a minister. I'm not even a Sunday school teacher. I would feel weird talking to my neighbors about Jesus. Well, this morning, I have good news for you. This morning in this passage, if we understand what Jesus is saying, we've made this whole thing much too complicated. This thing of evangelism, this thing of telling people about Jesus, we've made it way too complicated. Think about it this way. This woman that is running the town, what does she do? What does she, what's she doing while Jesus is talking to the disciples? She's running into town. The disciples, I mean, the, the, the Messiah is at the well. You're not going to believe this. He's at the well. She hadn't been to a class on evangelism. She wasn't a theologian. You know, maybe the best definition is that simplest definition. That said Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's what she was doing. We see in this passage five truths about evangelism. We're going to look at those quickly and briefly. One, Jesus says, you must reveal me as I am, not whom you or the world wants me to be. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Notice he says, if you knew who was talking to you. Now look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now listen, we talked about this last week. If we make Jesus any less than that, We are lying. What's more, we are blaspheming. Who could by fiat, who could by command make the blind to see, simply see, and the person saw? Or say to the paralyzed, walk, and the paralyzed walk. Or say to the dead, rise, and the dead rose. Who can do that? It's only God himself. That's how he revealed himself. That's what he's saying to us. That's who I am. I was talking to, <clears throat> over several, a period of several years, I was talking to a brilliant man with several postgraduate degrees. He, he was not a believer. He was not a believer. He had read the Bible through from cover to cover at least three times. But he refused to believe that this Jesus was the Son of God who came in the flesh. He didn't believe in the incarnation. This man's wife belonged to a local church in in the town where we were. And the minister of that local church didn't believe in the incarnation either, didn't believe in the deity of Christ. This is so ironic. He would go to my friend, my brilliant friend, and say, you need to join the church. And my brilliant friend would say, what are you talking about? I'm not going to join your church. I'm not going to join any church. To join your church, I would have to believe Jesus is a son of God. And the minister said, well, I don't believe that. And my friend said, I know you don't, and you shouldn't be a minister either, you know, in the church. I admired my friend's integrity. 
I really did. We had great conversations. I admired his integrity. He had more integrity in dealing with Jesus than that minister had. Now, that story had a good ending. In his late 70s, he became a Christian. I saw it as he became a Christian. And then he joined the church. Jesus says, disciples, you must reveal me as I am in this world, not whom you or the world want me to be. Secondly, in this passage, that second truth, Jesus said, you can speak of me in your everyday world. Look at verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus began this conversation at the town well, not in the local synagogue, not at the temple. We saw this last week. This section began in chapter 3 with a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Where did that take place? That didn't take place at the temple. Jesus was visiting Jerusalem. He had a place to stay there. Nicodemus came to him at night, which meant in the, the passage suggests Jesus didn't go to Nicodemus. Nicodemus plainly came to Jesus. He had to come to the place where Jesus was staying, and it was at night. Before that, we saw the testimony of Jesus at Cana as he testified to who he was. Where did that take place? At a wedding feast. A wedding feast at night in Jerusalem, a place where he stayed, was staying, and now at a well outside of a small town. He was saying to his disciples, Peter and John, do you see where I talked to Nicodemus? Do you see where I talked to the woman at the well? Wherever you are through the week, there are two truths about you. These two truths are truth about you this week. The first truth is, in your life as a Christian, are you a Christian? This is a truth about you. You have a changed heart, a heart changed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's the first truth. You have a changed heart. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Those two things go together. You don't have a changed heart, and then you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit, but don't have a changed heart. You have, they, they come together. That means this week, wherever you go, to work, driving your tractor into the field, to school, to the gym, to the ball field, to the golf course, dinner with friends, Riding horses, dinner with family, washing clothes, texting. In your being, this is unchangeable. You cannot go anywhere this week that you won't have a changed heart in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Geography does not change that. You don't have the, you don't get up on Sunday morning and say, okay, now I'm a Christian and I have the Holy Spirit and my heart's been changed. I'm going to church. And you just leave that here. No, wherever we go, that's true about us. The second truth is that in your life as a Christian, Jesus has called you to be salt and light wherever you are. Because of your being, because of who you are, changed heart, and because the Holy Spirit's in you, you're going to be light in this dark world. He says, you're the light of the world. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Wherever you go, you're going to add flavor to the world around you. Wherever you go, you're going to retard the rottenness. We look around at the culture around us. 
and it's, it's rotting at a pace that we haven't seen before. Well, what protects us against that? Let me draw this illustration. Parents, think about this. Who are you as a parent? As a Christian parent, you have the power, you have a changed heart inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and what does that mean? You know, you and your wife have that. You're protecting your home against the rotting influence of this world. College students or people in the work world frequently come to me and say, John, where I'm work, where I am, the school or wherever, fraternity, sorority, what how can I tell them about Jesus? How can I tell them about what it means to be saved? How can I tell them the gospel? And they're really saying, <clears throat> you know, give me the words to say, give me an outline, give me something. And I tell them something that most of them have not heard before. Don't think about what you will tell them about Jesus. Just forget it. Don't think about it. Do these three things. One, actively pray for the people around you in that situation, wherever you are, wherever you're concerned about, the sorority or work, school, whatever. Just pray for them. Secondly, be engaged in the worship and activities of a gospel church. In other words, you, you be active with God's people where you are. Go to the Bible study. If you're young, go to the go to the forge. Go to the to the senior high meeting. Go to the junior high meeting. If you're in college, go to the the, the local Christian group there in that college. Thirdly, seek and pray for a strong personal relationship with the Father, with Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. You do those three things, and you don't have to think about what you're going to say. You're going to say it. You see, it's a force of life inside of you. Jesus didn't say, you know, you're going to do this because I command you. He said, you will be salt. He said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say become the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say become the salt. He said, you are the salt. This will think about it this way. Last week, Terry and I had been in Florida at the beach. And I walked into the closet two days after we knew back. I was looking at the sandals that I'd had on. I looked at her sandals. And across, you know, where you slip your foot in, it was just covered with sand. It was there. And, you know, that just happens. Try to come home from the beach without bringing sand. Terry didn't say, oh, I'm going to get a sprinkle of sand on her sandals and say, so I can take it home in my closet. I unpacked my suitcase and I got it, got it all out. I started to put it up on the shelf and I looked at it and there was sand all across the bottom. I had to take it outside, take it outside back there, turn that suitcase upside down to get rid of that sand. We didn't intend that. You can't come home from the beach without sand. You get in that gospel church. You start praying for that everyday world around you. You seek in your personal life a relationship with the Father and with Christ. You're not going to have to worry about what to say. 
It's not just an intellectual argument. Listen, listen to this. Please listen to this. I know ministers. And I'm using ministers now, not people sitting here. I know ministers who are able to argue brilliantly about, make a polemic argument about Jesus being the Son of God. But I must tell you that their lives are an atrocious testimony. They're well known for being able to communicate some great truths, but as far, I wouldn't send them to tell someone about Jesus. Their lives don't say it. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus says, disciples, you must reveal me as I am, not whom you, you or the world want me to be. You can speak of me in your everyday world, wherever you are. Thirdly, you can speak of me to every type of person. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, there's real division here. There's real, we saw this last week, real anger. Now, look at verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? This is, this is huge, people. The woman was taken back that Jesus would engage her in conversation because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. The disciples were taken back for the same reason. Not only that, because she was a Samaritan, but they were also taken back because in rabbinic teaching, in rabbinic tradition, rabbis usually did not converse publicly with women. This was a division. Listen to me. In the long history of the church, Christians have let racial, economic, and social divisions keep us from communicating the gospel in some situations. Those kind of biases and prejudices, they come from the world. They should never be in the church. I long, I long for the church to be a place where it is red and yellow, black and white all together. That's what we used to sing in Bible school. I grew up singing in Bible school. Yeah, red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. They're all made in God's, you know. This is what's wrong with, with, with what the world is saying about the critical race theory. It's dominating secular thought today. We don't look, as Christians, we don't look at the world through the lens of the critical race theory. We look at the world through the lens of Scripture. And the lens of Scripture say it doesn't matter. Red, yellow, black, and white. It doesn't look at that. It says everyone, it doesn't matter the race, doesn't matter their nationality, they're made in God's image. It's right there in Genesis. We are, they're precious. Why, why do we respect 
another human being. doesn't matter who the color. Why do we respect them? Why do we care for them? Because they're made in God's image. They're precious. Then the scripture adds to that. doesn't stop there. It says, Jesus said, they're your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. We want to say, well, they're not my neighbor. Well, you can't get away with that. Jesus won't let you. So you say, well, then Jesus adds more to it. It gets worse. If you want to retain these kind of prejudices, it gets worse. Jesus says, they may be your brother and sister in Christ. They may be sitting with you in worship, and they're your brother and sister. Do you understand? Those, that's the lens that how we're going to look at the world. That's what he was telling the disciples. And you can't even, I had a psychologist friend of mine, and he, we were going through this. This was 30 years ago. And he said, you know the worst part of it is, Sartell? He said, Jesus also says about your enemies that you're to love them. You just can't get away from it. You just can't. We don't love someone because they're white or because they're black or because they're red or yellow. We don't love someone in spite of that. We love them because they're made in God's image, because they're our neighbors, because they may be our brother and sister in Christ, and even if they're our enemies. There's no room for that, people. There's just no room for it. I was meeting a friend of mine for lunch. I'll never forget this. It was an encounter, one of those encounters that will stick with me the rest of my life. I admire this man that I was going to have lunch with, greatly admire him. He has had a huge effect on my life. We're, he owned this huge building in the downtown of the city where I was, a, a big building, big business building. And he told me, he said, go park in the parking lot, ask the parking attendant where you park, where you should park, and he'll tell you. And I did. I pulled up, parking attendant was there, and I said, I'm here to meet so-and-so. He said, yes, I knew, I've been expecting you. He said, park right over there. So on the way out, on the way in, I was going to speak. To the, I stopped and speak to the attendant, parking attendant. I said, do you know Mr. So-and-so? He said, no, he, I don't just know him. He's my friend. He's been my friend for decades. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you know what? When I was in the hospital, he came to see me. When my wife was in the hospital, he went to see her. He knows all my children. These two people were as far apart as you could get. One was well known in the whole state. Prominent. Not just for a generation, but for several generations. Exceedingly wealthy. Parking lot attendant. They were, they were different in every way, shape, and form. But I yearn for the parking attendant to talk about me like he talked about my friend. Isn't that awesome? The lowly parking attendant says about the man up in the penthouse, he's my friend. He cares about me. Where? I, you know, I've known that I've known this man now for years. He's the guy born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I've never seen him look down on anyone. I've never seen him look up his nose at anyone. He's a guy I want to say, I want to be like him. Because I know he got that from Jesus.
That's where you get it. Who were the first two people that John recorded in Scripture, that in, in, in his gospel? Who were the two people recorded first in long conversations with Jesus? Nicodemus, a Pharisee, outwardly, morally, a piety that is beyond description. Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, a ruler in Israel. The next person he spoke to was a Samaritan. A Samaritan woman with a checkered past. Nicodemus would have never spoken to that woman. Ever. Jesus was telling his disciples this. Why? Because they would engage Roman soldiers, Roman leaders, Gentiles, Samaritans, Jewish Sadducees, Jewish Pharisees, lepers, outcasts, people from Africa, people from Europe, people from Asia. Jesus was saying in my church, we don't have room for those divisions. Jesus says, disciples, you must reveal me as I am, not whom you or the world wants me to be. You can speak of me in your everyday world anywhere. You can speak of me to every type of individual. Fourthly, you can speak of me in any season. Look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were, com and were coming. Mark that. And were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months. Then comes a harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white with the harvest. People, if you don't laugh and cry with joy at this scene, you simply don't understand. Two things were happening simultaneously. The woman leaves after the disciples have abruptly returned. She goes into the city with her astonishing news. The Messiah is at the well. They went out of town and were coming to him. That's what we read. They went out of town and were coming to him. This happened immediately. They wasted no time. You know why? Because this was a well outside of town. Everyone stopped at that well when they were going from Jerusalem up to Galilee. People come to Galilee, down to Jerusalem. They stopped at the well. They didn't go into Sakaar. The Messiah at the well, he would be gone in a few minutes. He was on his way to Galilee. They were in a hurry to get out there. Well, meanwhile, as these people come out from town, the disciples are urging Jesus to eat this food that they brought him from the city. Probably with laughter. Happily, Jesus says, guys, I have food to eat you don't know about. Remember, he had been thirsty, he had been hungry, and he had been tired. But this encounter with the woman energized him. This is why he came. He came to save the lost. He came to redeem those in slavery to sin. He sees people coming out from the city. And this is an agrarian society. There's planted fields all around it. And Jesus said to John or Matthew or Peter or all of them, he says, don't say to me, this was, you know, it wasn't harvest time. The plants were all, had been planted. It wasn't planting season. He said, don't say to me, it's yet four months. 
to harvest time. He pointed to the people coming out of the city. He said, look, the fields are white to the harvest. People will say, well, we're going to have a season of evangelism. Well, Jesus' season of evangelism never ends. It's always in. Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white to the harvest. Jesus says, disciples, you must reveal me as I am, not who you or the world wants me to be. You must speak to me in your everyday, you must speak of me in your everyday world. You can speak of me to every type of person. You can speak to me in any season. And finally, when you speak of me, you may be planting, you may be watering, and you may be reaping. Look at verses 37 and 38. For here the saying holds true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I wish I'd understood this when I was a teenager. Luke, you hearing me? I wish I'd understood this when I was your age. It would have made a huge difference in my life. You see, at that point in time, I wanted to go from, from sowing to reaping. Just automatically. Reaped and sowed all at the same time. Well, there's not a farmer anywhere in Fayette County that can plant on one day and reap the next day. There's a process. And that's what usually occurs with people, even where you see a sudden conversion. It's, it's usually a process. You know, when I was young, I just thought, you know, I'm gonna, I want to tell this person about Jesus. And I tried to tell them about Jesus, and nothing would come of it. They'd walk away. And I was like, I've just failed. No. No. You might sow a few seeds. You might be watering with your testimony. You might be reaping. No. I'll have a conversation with a man on a plane. We get that curse all the time. You get to have a conversation with somebody on a plane. And we get off and we're in the airport and, and I see him walk away. And I'll say, I wish I knew the rest of that story. Wish I was Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. No. You know, but I know I planted some seeds. And I'm excited for the next person, the next Christian that man is going to encounter. When I was quite young, I was with my father on some sort of trip. We lived in Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia. <clears throat> and it was a time when people were hitchhiking. Um, and people in high school, college, military, there was a lot of hitchhiking. And we were on this trip. It wasn't, it wasn't a real long trip, not for days. It, just, it was a, a shorter trip, but it was, wasn't just going across the mountain to town. We picked up this hitchhiker. He was a young man, looked to be college age. And dad and the young man talked about dad, about the young man, where he had come from, where he was going, what he was doing. He was from Alabama. And it was obvious that he was, had left home and was going out on his own. Dad got into the gospel, and after a bit, pulled over on the side of the road, 
where I could look at him and I could talk. And he hugged me and prayed with my father. In that place, uh, the reaping took place. And he said, well, Mr. Sartell, this is as far as I'm going to go with you. And my dad was looking at him, well, what's this about? He said, I'm, I'm going to get out. Of, I'm going to walk across the road and go back to where I came from. He did. Got out of the car. Walked across Lee Highway and headed south to Alabama. A few weeks later, my dad got a letter from a family in Alabama. Thank you for speaking to our son. We raised him from infancy going to church. He was always rebellious, always out walking along the edges and said he had left, and we didn't expect him to be home for a while, and said after a couple of days, he came back. He told us about you, and now you told him about Jesus. See, he walked across that highway. He had met Jesus, and his life was headed in a completely different direction then. They had strived, that couple had strived for years with that young man. They had planted seeds. They had watered. Don't get discouraged when your friend or your family is not converted on the spot. Just keep sowing. Just keep watering. The reaping will come. Our hymn is most appropriate. We're going to sing. Our own testimony. Let's stand together. Was blind, but now. 